of lockdown, we've been slowly walking through the New Testament Gospels, all four of them, chronologically as best as we can, looking at the life of Jesus and particularly looking at his words, his works and his wonders. So we've been looking at Jesus' words, the things that he says. Uh, we've been looking at his works, so the things that he does, the way that he serves people. And then we've been looking at his wonders, so some of the miracles that he was performing um, along the way. And we believe there's a lot that we can learn from that. And so each week we've just been going through each of the four Gospels and looking for the same stories um, and looking, are, are they different? In some instances there are stories that are only in one of the Gospels, in other instances there are stories that are in all four of the Gospels. Um, and so what we're going to do is carry on with that today. If you have got your Bibles at home, I'm going to give you a few verses just to stick your fingers into Mark or a, a book note or something like that. So the first one we're going to look at is Matthew 8. So Matthew 8, verses 1 to 4. The second one we're going to ask you to look at is Mark 1. And that's verses 40 to 45. So Mark 1, 40 to 45. And then the third one we're going to look at, same story as the other two, is Luke 5, verses 12 to 16. So that's Matthew 8, 1 to 4. Mark 1, 40 to 45, and Luke 5, 12 to 16. Um, and so what we're going to do is in a moment, we're going to invite um, our friend Christine to come up the front, and she's going to read each of those accounts, one after the other, um, which will be great. And you'll see that they're very, very similar. And so if you are reading along at home, you might just want to keep your finger in one of them, because all three are very, very similar. Um, but it's great to hear what each of the different gospel accounts is basically relaying to us these things were written down to us generations ago so that those who didn't actually see Jesus physically could benefit from knowing what he taught what he did his words his works and his wonders and it's great to look at the different accounts and find out where are they different why might they be different where are they similar what why are certain accounts in one gospel and not in the other one each of the authors of the different gospels Matthew Mark Luke and John all had slightly different kind of agendas or aims in the purpose of writing their gospel uh, the Gospel of Luke particularly wanted to encourage us to be very factual. Luke was a doctor, so he was very methodical in what he wrote down. Uh, whereas other ones were more, uh, like John, he's more interested in the kingship and the divine sovereignty of Jesus as a divine ruler, more than a, far more than a man. And so he's very interested in the heavenly reality of who Jesus was. And so we're just going to welcome Chris. Um, put your hands together for Chris, that would be amazing. And Chris is going to read, and it will be off camera. So hang on a second. Right, this is Matthew 8, verses 1 to 4. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and... <laughs> the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Right. right, this is Mark 1, 4 
Mark 1, 40 to 45. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. He instead went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter the towns to open openly, but stayed outside the sorry, the princess more. Yet people will come to him from everywhere. Luke five twelve to sixteen. is the lie, I think. Jesus was in one of the towns. A man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his feet to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. When Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man, I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their illnesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Brilliant. Thank you, Chris. Put your hands together for Chris. Brilliant. Okay, um, so what we're going to do, I'm going to invite you to have a little look at these three gospel accounts together on your tables. If you're watching along at home, uh, then we, I'd encourage you to do the same. Now, if you're at home on your own and you're joining us, um, then you can do this just as easily as if you're on a table. But I want you to have a little look at three different things. There are three different groups um, or three different sort of characters in the story. You've got Jesus and what he's saying and what he's doing. You've got the, the guy with leprosy and you've also got the crowds and so what I want you to do is have a little look at this chat on your tables if you're at home then have a little think about this if you're with other people in your family maybe you could chat about this at home um, it's just look at one of the accounts you might have noticed all three are very very similar there's not any discrepancies really um, and what I want you to do is just look at what is going on with each of these different groups what are they what are they looking for where, where, where are they what might they be experiencing in the moment like what what would what might the leper have been brought in, brought with him emotionally as he is approaching Jesus? What, what can you see about Jesus? What does it say? There's a couple of words in there that describe the way that Jesus actually ministered to this guy. Um, and then there's also the crowd. They've got some things that they're after as well. Um, and so I just want you to spend a few moments on your table just talking about what can you see in the story? What you may be not so sure of? What speaks to you? Is there anything that comes to life? In that story and we're going to again just spend five minutes doing that so a timer will come up that will give the guys here um, a sense of how long we've got left um, and then for you guys at home pretty much the same so we'll just do that now okay 
Right, back in the room. Uh, well done. That five minutes goes quick, doesn't it? Just as you start getting into it and, uh, and, and chatting on our table, I was like, oh, look, quick, I better get out the front. Um, so I, I hope that you managed to get a, a few little things um, from, from this account. Um, I'm going to be looking specifically at the, the account in Luke 5, uh, 12 to 16, just to pick out a few little thoughts myself uh, that you very well may have spoken about, either at home or on your tables. Um, but I just want to speak about the, the character and nature of Jesus that we, we see here in what we're reading. Um, and so I might just read it again. So Luke 5, 12 to 16. So while he, so Jesus, while Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So I just want to start with that first little thing that that guy approaching Jesus when he saw Jesus he fell on his face and he begged him that guy just seems incredibly incredibly desperate full of desperation we read here that he was a man full of leprosy you can imagine in a you know like we're, we're talking centuries ago over 2,000 years ago now, this guy would have been a complete outsider, completely excluded from community. His body ravaged by a disease that would, if you went close to him, there was a high chance of you catching it. Uh, does it remind you anything? Of, we, we, we've just been praying about it, haven't we? Uh, leprosy is a lot more serious than COVID. This was a disease that couldn't, in those days, really be treated. People would be excluded, often sent out of the city or in a particular areas of the city where you know, they would all be together. Um, nowadays, we can treat leprosy. You can take pills. We were just chatting about that on our table. Over time, daily, daily, daily taking pills and over time, hopefully being healed of it. In those days, it would have been a death sentence. Literally, your body would have started decaying and falling apart. You'd have started, your, your skin would have been affected. Your eyesight would have been affected. Your bodily functions would have been affected and you would literally start losing parts of your body over time. It was a, a, an incredibly destructive and ugly disease. Not something that anyone would have come through in, in victory. It, it would have finished everyone off eventually. So you can imagine this guy, it doesn't say how long he's had leprosy for, but he says he was a man full of leprosy. Full of, not partially, he was full. This guy was infected. He was diseased, he was unclean. This was an unclean guy in the city. And he's approaching Jesus, this guy who he's perhaps heard, he's going around from place to place like we've looked at over recent weeks, healing people. And maybe this guy, you can hear with the desperation in his voice, he falls on the floor, he sees something about Jesus and he literally begs, begs him face on the floor because he can't even stand to look at him. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. That first word, Lord, he's declaring something about who he believes Jesus to be. Like we've looked in other weeks when people are approaching Jesus, they're saying, teacher, rabbi, that they're approaching him as a prophet. They're approaching him as a good man of God. But this guy sees something about him. He sees something of his divinity and he falls on his face in his leprous condition and says, Lord, God, he's literally saying God. He's calling him out as the Messiah. You can make me clean. But there's this, if you will. It's like, I don't deserve this. 
if you will, he's almost like he's recognizing the divine sort of kingship, the rulership that's on Jesus. He's recognizing that the Messiah is in front of him. This reminds me a little bit of like in Isaiah 6, where Isaiah, the prophet, has this like out-of-body experience. And it says he gets caught up in a vision and he sees God in his throne room. And when he sees God with his own eyes in this vision, it says that he falls down on his face and says, Woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. When he sort of sees God as he is, and this is the same response as this guy, I am an unclean man, whoa! And he falls to his feet and he's asking, God, would you change my story? Would you do something? You have the power, you alone, to turn my life around. Like, I, I, when I read stories like this, I love to try and think of what life must have been like for that person in that story. The years of rejection, the years of pain, the, the, the years of feeling excluded, the years of literally their body decaying, losing fingers, losing limbs, being excluded from all of community, not being able to go near anyone other than other lepers. It would be like us having Covid camps, wouldn't it? And only being able to go near those who were also infected. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. I don't know about you, but have, have you ever felt like you're, you're unclean? Have you ever had an argument? Have, 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 loads of times, yeah, yeah, me too. Like, we have arguments in our house, and sometimes you can feel pretty wretched afterwards, can't you? Have you ever felt unclean in that you've maybe done something that you really knew you shouldn't have done? And it made you feel just inside not right. I remember when I was a kid, I used to like, this is revelation time, like, don't call the police. I remember going to the corner shop with my friends and we would, we would steal stuff. Like we had this little thing, like kids, don't copy me. Like, I'm not telling you how to do it. But we'd go along with, with my bag and uh, my friends would do the same. And there'd be these big, like milky bars, massive ones. And they were on the bottom shelf in the newsagent. So we'd go along just put our bag down, it would be unzipped and just like literally scoop a few into the bag, zip it and then we'd leave the shop. We thought that was really cool. Afterwards I would feel this sense, I would call it uncleanness. I've done a terrible thing. Uh, I remember the church that we were sent from, Adam Vogt, like he won't mind me sharing this story because it's a public one. He'd done a similar thing, he used to work in a corner shop and he'd, he'd, he'd stolen some bits, I think cans of drink or something when he'd worked there. And as an adult, as a pastor, he felt so convicted that years, years and years later, he went back to that corner shop just to set things right. And the guy, he was like, I want to pay for it, I want to apologise. Years ago, and you probably don't even know, I, I stole these things and I've never felt right since. And it's always nagging, it's always, it's one of those voices that's playing in my mind again and again and again and told me that I'm not worthy, told me that I'm not clean. I'm sure he didn't say it like that to the shopkeeper, but. I'm saying that for you guys, this is what it looks like. It oppresses us. When we feel unworthy, it oppresses us. It's like a, a bad record that you can't get out of your head, like those terrible Christmas songs. It plays again and again and again. Now in our family, when we mess up, when we make mistakes, when we feel unclean, that's when often when we're doing things that we shouldn't have done, we, we try and rectify it quick. That's often a good thing to do, is often to try and clean the decks and deal with it quick. Now for this guy, he didn't have that ability. This was something that he was unclean for a whole other host of reasons. He literally had a disease 
and the, the Levitical law said that he was unclean. The law of the Old Testament said that he was to be excluded because of the danger of this disease that he carried out to the rest of the community. So he was ostracized by the law because of what was in his body. Whereas for us, when we feel a sense of uncleanness, none of us, I'm, I'm thinking and I'm hoping, have got leprosy here this morning or at home, but there will be things in us that make us feel like we can't approach God because we are unclean. We would ask him, if you would, I'm so unworthy of you even moving in my life, but if you would, you can sort my life out for me. This guy recognises that he can't sort it out himself. It's not about just going away and waiting for things to get better. It's not just about pulling your socks up and trying harder. This guy recognises he is utterly hopeless without Jesus. And that only Jesus can turn his life around. God doesn't expect perfect people to come who've sorted their lives out and are then worthy to come into his presence. Jesus actually wants us to come recognising our utter hopelessness. The desperation of our situation, our human condition. He welcomes us all, whether it be physical impurity, whether it be sexual immorality, whether it be pride and anger, whatever the brokenness is, whether it be theft and larceny, whatever these things are, Jesus wants us to recognise that we've not got it all together, that we need his help to break the cycle of these things that would tell us internally that we are not worthy, that we are unclean, that we're not worthy to be in his presence. And Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched this guy. Do you think anyone had ever touched this guy? No one would, even to push him away, no one would, you know, the saying goes, you wouldn't touch him with a barge pole. Quite literally, to have touched this guy would have been to, to have taken on his uncleanness. It would have literally, high, high degree, that you would have picked it up and then all of a sudden you would be unclean and it would start working its way over, over the years through your body until you too were in the same condition as this man. Sin can be like that. The things that we do that we shouldn't do or the things that get done to us that should never have been done, usually, and this is a weird thing, they have a, they have a habit of repeating and multiplying, both in families and in communities. Whereas Jesus, he, he, he's not put off by this man's uncleanness. He goes in, quite literally, almost embraces it. I, like the, I don't think Jesus went up and sort of like and touched him like that, like a quick little touch or, or a flick, or you're healed. I think Jesus probably went up and gave this guy a huge embrace. I am willing. And embraced him in his brokenness, in his uncleanness. And he welcomed him in. Probably the first human touch this guy had had in decades. We don't know how long he'd had it, but we knew that, know that he's full of leprosy. So the first thing is, if you are here this morning, or if you're at home and you're feeling like you're not worthy, you're not worthy to be in the presence of God, there are things going on. If only other people knew, they wouldn't even welcome me here in Costa. If they knew what I was really like, that narrative, that unclean narrative, they wouldn't welcome me. Jesus says, if you want to come to me recognising you need me, I am willing. The heart of God isn't, if you will, it's of course I will. And he wraps his arms around you and he wants to bring life into your life. He wants to change the, that narrative, that internal narrative of uncleanness into one of you are welcome in the presence of God. I don't judge you for what you've done, what's been done to you, the things that knock around in your thoughts, but I don't want you to stay there. I'm trying to change and transform you. 
And immediately, following this embrace or this touch, whatever that looked like, we can't speak from silence, but just knowing the character of God, I like to think of this like the prodigal son returning to the father. There's a huge embrace, even though the son's covered in pig muck and all sorts of stuff. The father runs and wraps his arms around him and kisses him and says, you are welcome back home, son. I think this was that type of embrace. You have been excluded for far too long. Come home. And then this guy is just, he's healed. What does that look like? In that moment, did any missing limbs return? It doesn't say. Was his skin all of a sudden back to how it was? Was his eyesight back to how it was? Did he look like he'd just kind of gone back 20 years and was miraculous? We can't make any judgment or comment on that. But what it does say is in that moment, this guy's life was changed forever. The leprosy evidently had left him. He was no longer unclean. He could now be welcomed in to community again, in the city. He could be embraced. Jesus has just demonstrated something so powerful. This is a supernatural thing. Jesus isn't like, right, come along, we'll give you a course of drugs for the next six months. That will sort you out. We could run a ministry like that, couldn't we? We could literally go to people that are sick on the streets and run a ministry. Here we see something super powerful where Jesus is he is delivering someone in the moment the power of God is present to heal and bring deliverance and healness like wholeness to bodies but then there's this strange thing in verse 14 he charged him to tell no one but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them so Jesus, it's a very strange thing. In one of the other things, it says he told him sternly. Sternly. I don't often see Jesus being stern. I do with the Pharisees, but not usually with the people that he's ministering to. This is an interesting one. Jesus really doesn't want this guy to go around telling everyone what's just happened. And I think there's a number of reasons for that. What Jesus does want him to do is to go to the temple court to go and give the Levitical offering because he is lawfully unclean beforehand. He's been full of leprosy, he's technically unclean, but he's gonna go and he's gonna give the offering that the Old Testament demands. He's gonna honor the law before the Pharisees so that they will see that actually this is a thing that honors the Levitical kind of law. It honors the Old Testament. It honors the law of the Pharisees. Now, we could read that and think, well, that's a bit odd, what's going on, and just skirt over it. But I think, just to dig into that a little bit more, I think, the, on the simplest level, the thing that we can get from this is that Jesus has come to fulfill Old Testament law. There are many Christians that think, I don't read the Old Testament. The Old Testament don't make no sense. God seems so angry. All he does is destroy nations, and there's all these laws, and there's all these plagues. I just read about Jesus, because that's what God's like now. Jesus is massively honouring the God of the Old Testament. He is the same one. He's got like, the Father, the Son and the Spirit are not in conflict with one another. Jesus is the fulfilment of everything that the Old Testament is pointing to. Jesus, in a way, has already healed this guy. He is like the sacrificial offering that the guy was going to be doing. Jesus is kind of the model of that. We see that later on when he goes to the cross. But on the simplest level, Jesus is just saying, actually, honour honor the God of the Old Testament. Go and show these guys, they need to see that this isn't, a, this isn't a new thing, this is a thread, this is a development of what has come before. Jesus hasn't come to bring in a whole new religion, Jesus has come to kind of bring this one to life. 
the law literally living the word of God made flesh amongst them. The law coming alive, no longer in judgment but in mercy. The law no longer excluding but actually welcoming in and embracing. Not ostracising but making a place at the table. And so again, I don't know about you, whether you're at home or here, whether you've ever felt like you're on the outside. Whether you feel like you're the, the odd one out, the one that's not welcome. There's, no, there's never a place at the table for you. This guy felt like that. And Jesus changed that narrative forever. And what created that, that move of God? The desire in the guy for that to change. He had to approach Jesus. He had to humble himself, which he did by literally laying himself on the floor. And he had to, his heart's crying, would you please change my story? I'm stuck. I'm in a dead end. I don't feel worthy. Other people don't welcome me. And Jesus moves in power. And then he told, tells him to go and speak to the Pharisees and show them what's happened. And then the last thing I just want to pick out. So firstly, Jesus is more than willing to embrace you and your mess and bring life to you if you would just let him and get in the orbit of Jesus to do that. The next thing is that Jesus is really interested in what's going on in the Old Testament. He makes sense of it. So if you struggle with what the Old Testament says, Jesus is the lens through which it all makes sense. For this guy, it, Jesus has made sense of what the Old Testament law was about. It was a law of exclusion, now all of a sudden he's been welcomed. And then the last one is just this thing about what happens next. Is the guy doesn't do as he's told and he runs back into the town and he starts blabbering to everyone, look what's happened, and they can all clearly see that there's this uh, there's this guy filled with leprosy who they would have known was kind of on the outside, wasn't welcome. And he's got this amazing story. And so all of a sudden, all of the crowds, they're all coming, they're all bringing their sick, they're all bringing their disease, everyone's coming. There's, they're in a city, there are literally hundreds if not thousands of people now approaching Jesus. And this wasn't what Jesus wanted at this moment in time. This, was, this wasn't the aim of it. Interestingly, what does Jesus do? It doesn't say that he healed them all. It says he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. It says elsewhere that everyone came, they came to make him king and he, he slipped away from the crowd and he went to a lonely place and prayed. Now there are other instances where it said that they brought all of their sick and, and he healed all of them. But there's this sense that Jesus' agenda isn't driven by other people. I, I don't know about you, sometimes, like we, I find it sometimes in the morning with this live stream, like we've got some wonderful people trying to help uh, take a few things off my shoulders, I like, take it out of my tight grip. Sometimes a lot of things can, can set your agenda for you, whether it be your work, your family. Before we know it, we start running faster than our little legs are able to sustain us. And Jesus here, he's got loads of people that are coming in there and they're interested in the healing, they're interested in the miracles and they're maybe not so interested in, in what he's trying to reveal. We see this a little bit later in one of the other examples we'll come to in a few days. But Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and he would pray. So Jesus doesn't get his sense of value from what he's doing in healing and the miracles, in his performance, in what he's doing in the delivery of service for these people that are in great need. 
Jesus gets his sense of value and his purpose from a different place, from a quiet place, in a desolate place where he's basically pressing into the Father in prayer. And then that is empowering him to firstly keep his eyes on the mission, to not get caught up in the sideshow. Like, like I said, other, in other instances, they try and take him away and make him king. Can you imagine the temptation of that? All of a sudden, you're really successful at work and they want to promote you and promote you and promote you. The next thing you know, you're running the, the business, you, you know, you're on a big pedestal. For Jesus, they were, they were wanting to promote him and promote him and promote, make him the king of Israel. The Messiah is here. It's time to be king. And he's completely resisting that because he knows it's not about the fame. He knows it's not about the, the healing, the miracles. The greatest miracle is salvation and all of these things are a signpost that the kingdom of God is about healing and wholeness. But for Jesus, the main thing is that he hears the voice of the Father saying, this is my son, you are well pleased. Like he heard at his baptism. He's not interested in the voice of the crowd shouting louder and louder, there's more things to do. Get busy, come and serve us, come and meet our need. Now for us in Sittingbourne, coming out of lockdown, there could be so many things. Call him for the attention of our church. Get involved in this, get involved in that. Let's do this, let's do that. The main thing, it's all got to flow from a sense of vision and a sense of purpose and a sense of each of us individually and us collectively and you at home knowing who you are in God. And that comes not from the crowd, but it comes from the choir. It doesn't come on mission, it comes setting aside time to press into God, to hear the Father's heartbeat. We see here all of these moments, they're incredibly intimate. What we see is for the guy that's being healed, it's him and Jesus having a conversation. And we see the same here, that Jesus would detach. It's incredibly intimate, it's him and the Father. And so again, I just want to encourage you this morning, I don't know if you've got voices in your head or you feel the expectation or the weight that you've just got too much to do. There's too much going on in life. The agenda is being set by everything else other than maybe God or other than maybe even yourself. It can be easy to get caught up in that, can't it? Everyone else's expectations, everyone else's demands. Without a sense of this bigger vision of this is who God has called me to be. And by that, I cast my sail up and I catch the wind and I, I move in that direction. And often we just run through life or bumble through life with everyone else setting the agenda and here, Jesus is clearly getting his agenda set by God. I think sometimes we can be a little bit like the guy with leprosy. We can approach Jesus, we can ask him for what we need, and then when he's speaking to us and giving us direction in life, we're going to do completely the opposite thing. For this guy, it's like, don't go into the town and tell him what does he do, he does the opposite. So Jesus says, meet in community. What do we do? We do the opposite. Lockdown comes, we detach. Jesus says, be generous be a blessing to the nations. What do we do? We spend all our money on ourselves. Jesus says, be hospitable. So what do we do? Put up another seat at the table, or we just do everything ourselves as a nuclear family. And so this is the challenge. It's this thing of obedience. We see Jesus doing something remarkable here in that he's bringing healing and wholeness, but he's also got something that he wants to do in our life. He's not just a blessing machine. He blesses this guy, but then he's got something for him to do, and that's just to be obedient to what he's asked him to do. And it's the same for us. We can approach Jesus sometimes just wanting the stuff, like the crowds just wanted the stuff. They wanted the healing, they wanted the breakthrough. They didn't want to be obedient. 
And that is the challenge for every single one of us, every single one of you here, every single one of you at home, for me and my family, is do we want to be obedient to the things that Jesus is inviting us to do? Or do we just want the stuff? Put in the pound, press the thing, get the, get the blessing out the bottom. So that's a big challenge, isn't it? It's a big challenge. But what we see is that Jesus, the heart of it, which when we go back to it and we see it, it's this sort of sense of like Jesus, he knows what this guy's going to do. It's not a surprise to him. And what does he do? He still blesses him. He still blesses him. Because the heart of God is far larger than, than our heart. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'd be like, it's a waste of time blessing this guy. He's just going to go off and do his own thing. Well, get someone up here that's worthy. Jesus doesn't do that. Even in your rebellion, your disobedience, God wants to bless your life. Even in all of those little unregenerate areas that we try and hold to ourselves, God wants to move and bring healing and wholeness. And he'll do it again and again and again if we'll let him. We'll do it again and again. And then eventually there'll be a moment where we'll be like, you know what? God, I've got, I'm going to do what Jesus says this time. Because he's good. He operates in grace and mercy. He's a wonderful God. And so that's just what I want to encourage you with this morning. Whatever you're going through, whatever that narrative is in your, in, in your head, in your heart, whether you feel like you're unworthy, whether you feel like you're unclean, whether you feel like you're being disobedient, there are things that God's inviting you to do and you just, I'm not going to do it. I don't want to do it. It's not for me. Jesus is there and he's willing. He's willing. He wants to embrace you. He wants to bless you. And he, but it's not just for you. It's for the nations. What he wants to do in you, he wants to do through you. And so we're just going to take communion now. If you're at home, hopefully you've got these bits and pieces ready. We're going to do this on our tables and I, I would love us to pray with one another.